Well, good morning, church. Thank you so much. It's been a long time since I've been on this side of the pulpit. I'm super excited this morning. Um, I'm going to figure out how to turn this guy on. That came out weird. Um, got my Happy Meal drink. They didn't serve me a bottle, so it's all good. We're in the book of Acts, chapter 4. We're going to be going through the last four verses, verses 32 through 37, and then we're going to tackle the first 15 verses of chapter 5. And so, you know, we're in a series about the church. We've been going through the book of Acts. And uh, really quick about the, the series we've gone so far, just kind of a recap. If this is your first time entering here, maybe you've missed uh, any sermon over the last four weeks. But So what we had uh, in the church, right, we had up to this point, we had essentially the birth of the church, right? We have Jesus talking to the disciples, telling them to wait for the Holy Spirit. And they do. They wait for the Holy Spirit. Then we have that great scene where the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit falls amongst the believers, right? And they get the tongue of fire and they get all inspired and they go and do their thing in the city and they start preaching the gospel. Uh, that's when we see the working of the Holy Spirit, right? Peter preaches that great message. 3,000 people come to faith, and then we have Peter and James, uh, excuse me, Peter and John are at the gate of beautiful, and uh, the lame beggars asking for alms. They said, you know, silver and gold we have not, but what we have we give to you. Bam, they save him, they lift him, they heal him, and he goes and worships the Lord. And then what's really cool is last week when Pastor Joey was teaching, he, he had this, this interaction between the Pharisees, the Sadducees, right? They kind of clicked up, they were the enemies. And, and they, they came against the Christians, right, because the enemies teamed up to go against their common enemy, the Christian, the way. And, and what was really cool, I think we're going to see kind of a bookend, or maybe not the bookend, the, the middle section. What, what I mean is this is persecution. So if you look at the church from that standpoint, right, it had just birthed. It was kind of moving. It had some momentum, and it was making an impact, right? And then you had, you had the government, in a sense. You had the religious government come, and they try to put a, a cap on it. Hey, no, 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 you guys are done. Right? And even the one uh, Pharisee was like, hey, if this thing's a fad, it'll go away. Just don't worry about it. Let it be. So they, they, they took matters in their own hands, and they tried to suppress and silence the church. And we had that great passage where Peter says, hey, man, you want to believe, you want to obey, man, that's up to you. But we're going to obey God. And then they essentially plant the flag. No, Christianity's here. And they establish it in the presence of the government. No, no, no. We're going nowhere. This is a community, and we're going to thrive, and we're going to keep making an impact. And so that was kind of, to me, it was Satan's first attempt. Oh, it's just multiple attempts. Satan's not limited to one moment, uh, one incident, and one action. There's plenty of them. But that was kind of like, to me, I see that as a flag being planted. We're here. We're established. Now you have to deal with it, right? You got to deal with the movement, this wave of what they called the way. And today, as we go, we're going to see kind of the backdoor entrance. If, if, the, if Satan can't do it corporately, if he can't suppress us through the government, then how he tries to divide us within the own congregation. So it's really great. So... Acts chapter 4, verse 30, uh, sorry, verse 30, where are you at? 32 through 35. Take a sip out of my sippy cup here, and let's read the scriptures. It says, now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. <clears throat> there was not a needy person among them, for as many of them were owners of lands, houses, sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as had need. So in those two verses, we kind of, before we go further, I apologize, the big truth, right? For all you note takers, for all you community groupians, we have the big truth. And I'm not really good with these big truth things, because I kind of ramble at times, but here's what I got. I have a big truth, where we at, where it is. A living church is built on dead individuals, right? It's kind of a plan word, but it's true. And you'll see how I, how I unpack that, that a living church, a church that makes an impact, it's truly built on dead individuals. And we'll, we'll dig into that 
I'm sure some of you can see where we're going, but in these first two verses, or excuse me, first four, four verses, 32 to 35, we get two basic observations, right, of the church. And so the next slide, please, Marcia. We got two basic observations, right? And it shows us how the church looked and functioned. Verses 32 to 34, we see how the church was functioning, right? The church as a whole. And then in verses uh, 33 and 35, we saw how the apostles were functioning in that structure, right? And so if you look at it, <clears throat> how I see the church, the next slide, please. And that, that, just those four verses, man, we get a lot. It's kind of a bird's eye view of an examination of the church, right? We have, the, we have Luke, who's an historian. He's writing the book of Acts. But he's honoring his role. He's not showing any favoritism. We see that through Scripture. We're actually going to see it in the passage tonight. If Luke was trying to uh, exaggerate the existence of the church, how it was impacting, or if he was trying to uh, have an agenda in it, we would see it. We would see things, especially in the passage today, we would see that stuff cut out. It would have been edited because it doesn't fit a godly context. It doesn't fit what the church should look like. But it shows that Luke's honest. And we can know that the book of Acts is honest. When we see these things and we see this overview, this bird's eye view of this massive unity and generosity, this is an, out, this is an observation of society on the church. And Luke is, is, Luke is uh, writing that down for us with the historical accuracy. And so we can be encouraged by that, right? This isn't something just made up. So unity and generosity. Now, they had, they, they had one heart and everyone's needs were met. You can't say enough about that. That is amazing, right? But what happens now? It's easy to look at that passage, right? And we all, at least for myself, and, and, and most of the times when I hear this passage, we gravitate towards it. They were giving everything away, right? We gravitate to this kind of commune style. Hey, everybody's just got our needs are taken care of. We're living in this, this utopia in a sense, right? And we gravitate towards that. And that's noble. Man, that is honorable. When you see that observation of the church, that is honorable. I desire to get there. I desire to have that heart. So that's why I ask, what would lead, right? What would lead these people to be so generous, right? But, but we rarely ask, we rarely ask things like, what led to such a dynamic response, man? What caused a group of people with multiple outlooks in life, right? Multiple circumstances, whether it's economic, uh, everywhere. It, it, they come together and they unify and they have this uh, declaration, this observation made towards them of being in unity and function. But what we rarely ask is, how do we get to that response? How do I, as an individual in a church contest, get to that place, right? I believe it's told to us right at the very first verse, in verse 32, right? It says, it's because if, if <clears throat> we know, obviously, that that response that they're having of unity and generosity is not just being a Christian, right? Because we would see it. So obviously, it's something more to our faith. It's obviously a step within our faith, a work within our faith to get there. It has to be, because if not, that context would be existing. Now, I want to say this. I don't want to come off condemning towards the church, because that's easy to do. It's really easy to straw man uh, anything and take shots at it. I do believe the church really functions in a great way today in society. Generations Church, man, you could, if you're a visitor here, this is your first time, you're a guest, you can look at our financial history. We are benevolent. We are a church that's on mission, and we support so many charities, and we give, and we try the best to take care of the needy. But I always feel we can grow. And so that's what I want to get to, man. I don't want to just say, hey, we're not here. No, we're, we're, we're there. We have a lot of great elements, but there's always, we can always grow. And so that's what I hope we gather out of this, right, is that we just grow in this. So to me, what led to that response was the very first verse, right? It says, in verse 32, it says, it says, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. One heart and one soul. Man, they had they had unity in their vision. The charity was an outflow for their desire of unity. See, unity was a value they had that is somewhat missing today because how to get to unity is very difficult. 
right? It's very difficult because we all are our own little gods. We all want our own little kingdoms, right? We want our own wants. And so we, it, it takes a lot to sometimes suppress or repent or remove our desires, right, to put the needs of others. But that's what it was, man. They looked at unity. They looked at unity as the number one uh, goal because it glorified Jesus. When you think about being in unity with someone, right, it immediately glorifies Jesus because you're dying to yourself, hence living church, and you're building up the name of Jesus. There's obviously places we, stay, we, we stand firm on, right? We stand firm on the death, um, <clears throat> life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. No negotiation there. We stand firm on that, right? No negotiation. Salvation through faith alone and Christ alone, right? Built on scripture alone for the glory of God alone, right? We stand firm on that concept. But man, there's so many other things that we can unify. We can unify around that without putting our needs before our brothers and sisters. And that's where we have to get to. We have to look within ourselves, right? Because unity is not only hard to achieve, it's very difficult to even maintain. Think about this. In the book of Ephesians chapter 4, there's a verse up there, four, verses three through one, 1 through 3, right? If, if Ephesus, right? This is roughly 50 years after the book of Acts, right here where we're talking. It's a short gap. We have this great moment, but look, just shortly after, we have the apostle Paul. Look what he says, therefore. I, therefore, Paul, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you, look at this, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Check this out eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of honor peace. Eager. Paul understood this unity was so important. Luke, the church, when it was birthed, understood this unity was so important. Paul had to remind you, you got to be eager. Think about unity in the context of a marriage, right? In, in the context of a marriage, you want unity. Now, I know there are those here who you may be struggling in your marriage, right? I just want to encourage you, you get through it. You will get through it. Just, just honor God. Put God first and watch your, yours and your spouse's life transform, transform. You can get to that good spot. Don't give up if you're struggling. Just press through with love, with patience, and eager to maintain the unity in your marriage. But now to the church. I just want to encourage you because there's those. But those of us who are here, maybe you're on, you're on that high point with your marriage, right? And nothing is closer to heaven than when you and your spouse are rocking and rolling in unity. It is the closest place to heaven on earth. I really believe that. And so, but when you think of the context of, of marriage, my wife and I have polar opposite uh, personalities. We have our own wills. We have our own desires. We have our own thoughts of how things should function in the home, right? But Claudia and I are willing to do whatever it takes to put our preferences aside, right, to bring unity and peace within our home. It's the same thing when we come to the church, right? We all have our own wants and desires. We can keep our uniqueness but still be able to unify around the glory of Jesus Christ and watch him glorified amongst us. We can. It just takes an eager, a willing, a heart that's paying attention to such a need and a value for such an outcome in the church that we press forward in it. Man, I remember, I remember being divided when I first got, and it's just like this, it's just like marriage. When I first got married, my wife and I's first argument was over toothpaste, right? In the grocery store, I'm sure we had arguments before, that's the one that stood out in my mind, but toothpaste, right? Well, my mom used to get this one. Well, why don't you marry your mom? Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I don't think she said it that way. I think she was more like, I'm not your mom. I can't remember. I'm sorry, babe. Shouldn't have said that. But it's true, and I don't blame her. You know, um, it, it, but, you know, we laugh, right? But it's so true. That's why we laugh, and it's crazy. But it's the same in the church. We can bring that understanding. We can bring that idea, man, into the church. We're in marriage, man. We are the bride of Christ, okay? And we can put those things out. And when I say the glory of Jesus, this is one thing that I, I think in unity we miss, we miss it because I'm passionate about certain things, right? And when I'm passionate about something, I have a tendency 
to look at someone else's passions and say, well, they don't really, man, they're wasting their time. What? When did my passion become the be all end all? I have to understand maybe some people are called to something a little different. We were in Reno. Great time. It's my favorite church to, to visit. It's uh, Livingstones in Reno. Love it. I just love it. I love it. I love it. And we were eating at this place. Oh, what's it called? Uh, come on, Joey. Help me. Grateful something. Uh, anyway, grateful food or something like that. It's real, real millennial. Real. It's good stuff. Okay. Um, but this gentleman came up and, and he was like, hey, man, he wanted to talk to us. And he says, you know, why aren't you guys going to the black community? And I, and I said, well, you, mean, you really don't know me. You know, I've ministered to minorities my whole life. I actually live in a minority community. But apart from that, he was attacking the other people. And I said, hey, man, look, everyone's got their own mission. Rich white kids, how you referred to them, need the gospel, just like they need the gospel in the poorer communities. This mission should not be pushed down because this one's glorified by another person. They are both necessities in society. We see it. We see the issues in each community. They each need Jesus, and we each need to be on point showing the love of God so we can reach these impoverished, these broken individuals, and it takes the church to be unified. But, but that context, right? Well, my mission's more important because I'm in the ghettos. I'm, I'm dealing with the minority. I'm here. No, that's just your calling, and that's a beautiful calling. Press into it. How can I support? How can I pray? But the man over here who's doing things in the upper class, that's a beautiful, awesome necessity the church needs. And sometimes we break unity because we value our mission so much, we devalue someone else's. We see it all the time. Pastor Matt talked about it when he was wanting to move, right? He, he, he was like, man, Lord, I feel you calling me to San Antonio. Maybe it was in the elders meeting. But, but he said it's real easy to vilify the place you're leaving because it makes the next place look more glorious, right? Like, oh, yeah, that church doesn't need me. That church is this, this, and this. I'm going to this. No, brother, you just got called to something different. And praise God you're going to Texas and doing your thing in San Antonio. They need good gospel preaching everywhere. And that's where God's calling you. Amen. Praise God. And so it takes a willingness and an understanding and worldview that God is working through each and every one as a unique individual in our own context that you can minister to that I can't. Make the most of it. But know this, that when we come together, it's all for the glory of Jesus. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? I hope so, man, because unity is so beautiful. And, and, and when we look at coming to Sundays, right, uh, how many of us coming to Sundays look for unity, right? The, the, and this is where I may challenge a little bit. And, and again, some of what I'm saying is, is I'll push back a little on it, but we come to church and our goal, I want to be fed. And I want, and nothing wrong with powerful preaching. We need it. I want good worship. We make those our markers. How's the preaching? How's the worship? Is it good enough for me? Yeah, I'm there. I am very grateful. Pastor Jeff is a phenomenal speaker. I'm surrounded by elders who can preach their socks off. I'm surrounded by theologically strong-minded men. I'm blessed. I am blessed to be a part of a church that has amazing worship. So grateful that our worship leaders are, are talented individuals. But you know what? I'm here because God has called me here and I have a mission. Okay? I am here not because of the preaching and the worship. I'm here because this is where God has called me. He's doing something in my life in this unique season. And I can serve and maximize my individuality in this bigger unity, this bigger thing we call church here at Generations. Because I feel this is where I can grow in that. Worship and preaching, I can get that. I could download R.C. Sproul and I can have preaching all day. That's amazing. You know, I can download Phil Wickham, Citizens. I can have worship all day. That's amazing. I'm fortunate I have both here along with the place where God is calling me to maximize my individuality in this kingdom, building unity amongst the entire church. Does that make sense? 
And that's a blessing, man. That's how we got to come to Sunday. But a lot of times, too, look at you could come to church. And here's another thing. We feel like we can only come to church in our power. I'm on fire for the Lord. I'm going to come to church. Man, what can I pray for you? This is probably the biggest indictment I would have on church is the broken feel unwelcomed. Okay? There's people here struggling. You know who you are, but you got a happy face on because you have to. You're afraid of gossip. You're afraid of being backbitten against slander. You're afraid of what can come if you open up. I would say that's a bigger indictment on the church because we preach grace, but I'm not sure we're giving it. And that's something we have to think about. Because if a man came up here and he said, I'm struggling with pornography and I'm about to divorce my wife, what the, you know, it, it, the response can be very like, hey man, that's, you're struggling. You got some issues. But hey, let's walk together. Let's walk through this. The big one, the big one we get offensive and afraid of, someone says, I'm, I'm a gay. What? No, man, it's all right. Let's walk through this. We, we, hey, we'll just walk their faith out together. There's a way to do this, okay? Now, you've got some challenges because the scriptures are very, uh, it's very clear what scripture says about your decision. But let's walk through this. Because we, we look at that one because it's an obvious one. But we never, we never take the, the sin of gossip and judge ourselves against it. And so that's where we become hypocritical. We want to judge a blatant sin because it's one we may not commit. But when it gets time to gossip, slandering, and backbiting, we're right in that party and we say nothing about it. And church, those are the areas we've got to look within the deep cackles of our heart and say, man, where is this germinating? Where is this birthing? And we're going to see where it bursts later on in the passage. But when we come to church, man, come not only on mission, but come with your baggage. And I'll tell you this much. If you're afraid to open up with your baggage because gossip may ensue, just open up anyways. And guess what? Pray for us. Pray that God would convict us to be more passionate on you and to show grace because we need it too. We need it too. And so that's how I want to see. Uh, and one thing when we look at this now, back to the, to the book of Acts, that 32 to 35, right? One thing it is, it's a fulfillment of what Jesus said in John 13, 35. Do I have that one highlighted? I don't. But in John 13, 35, it says, the world will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. Church, that's what we're seeing right here in the book of Acts. It's attainable. Sure, we've lost some of it, just like in your marriage. The first two years of your marriage, right? They call it the honeymoon period, except when you're buying toothpaste, you know? But... It's, you got the honeymoon, but it's okay, baby. You just kind of look over there and you start to age. Like, ah, I didn't know she does that. I didn't know she's, never mind. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? And then you grow and then the maturity begins and the unity starts to strengthen. It's a beautiful process. It's the same with the church. We have, we have seasons of growth and seasons of, we take step backs to grow even more. And so be, be patient with us and be a blessing with us, man. Let's grow together and maintain the bonds of unity, all right? Because if we're going to gain a reputation, you'll need to start looking for and willing to die to yourself and put the needs of others before you, hence the big truth. Now, big context, right? Beautiful observation of the church. How are the apostles functioning in this? Because now we're going to get an observation of the first church context, right? How did the pastors, apostles, how did they all function within this beautiful observation of the church. Well, I see two things. Preaching the gospel, verse 33, and overseeing the charity, right? The distribution of the needs in verse 35. That's the context of the church today. Nothing much has changed. Nothing much has changed but this. Check this out. Strong biblical teaching. I'll tell you one thing about the uh, apostle Peter. That dude preached Old Testament like no one's business. And think about the things he would quote. He would quote massive massive passages, right? Preaching the gospel. Man, preaching his socks off. But guess what? No matter who he offended with the truth, he had an awesome congregation there. He had an awesome congregation to take the blunt of that truth, right? To take that force because it was a great context 
we see dynamic preaching in the midst of dynamic community. The world can't say anything against that. They can only deny it or embrace it. And that's important, man, because Peter was rocking it. And he wouldn't quote, like, you know, the known scriptures. For instance, if I just said, oh, John 3.16, we all know that one, right? But if I dug in the back pocket and said Amos 3.3, you know, two can't walk together unless they agree upon so, that's a random passage to know, right? I haven't memorized. <laughs> I haven't memorized for, uh, I read it all last night. I wanted to impress you guys. So, I mean, no, I'm just playing. It's an old passage of me and my wife. It, it has to do with dating her. So I just haven't memorized. But, but <clears throat> Peter wasn't just preaching the common scriptures. He was digging. And he started quoting Joel. How many of you guys even heard of Amos, right? Yeah, okay. I know most of y'all have. But he's just digging. I mean, he was digging at random prophets like, Wow, you got the gospel out of there? And so he had deep preaching. And that's what we see in a good context. Deep biblical preaching in the Old Testament showing how Jesus fulfilled the promise, how the death, the resurrection, and the promise of the Holy Spirit were all built in the Old Testament. And that was Peter's mission. And he was preaching it, right? And he was preaching it to the Jews, right? And it was amazing. And, 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 and think about that context, though. You got a man who can preach his socks off, and you have a congregation that will love, love, and kill it's, it's, it's society with kindness and grace. That's a great context, man. I pray as a church we could get there. But check it out. Just like society, right, came against the church, we have that today, and just like Satan's going to come within the back door, we have to watch out for those things because that's what he wants to crush. Once the unity's broken, then our witness starts to be a little shattered, right? That's when we become that salt that's to be trampled on because our unity's fractured. We become the hypocrites, okay? And this is, this is what we want to do. We want to watch that. So now we're going to get a good example, right, <clears throat> we're going to get a good example. Uh, one little thing, too, about church. As oftentimes we set the bar of a good church, I think I touched a little bit on this, about the pastor. Church, it's us. We are the church. Man, that song was really good. I was like, man, that song makes a lot of sense for my message today. I never even tripped on the lyrics that much until I had a precious message. But, but the, the life of the church emanates from all of us. And we got to remember that. We have to make the most of that when we have guests. When people come to hear the gospel, it emanates from all of us. We're all in this mission together. So a quick recap. We have a church that's united. And they have generosity, strong biblical teaching, and charity. Now we're going to introduce ourselves to a man named Barnabas. It's technically his nickname. And we're going to look through these last few passages, two verses on Barnabas and then 16 verses on Ananias and Sapphira. And what we're going to learn is a lot, man. We're going to learn a lot of, I think there's, a, there's an insight into the life of, of Barnabas that can teach us a lot. It could teach us a lot and maybe an area that we can kind of self-evaluate and, and repent and, and grow in that area. So let's, take out, let's check out verses 36 and 37, right? Chapter 4, verse 36. Thus, <clears throat> Joseph, who's Barnabas, thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, not this Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him, and he brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' First off, when you receive a nickname, son of encouragement, that's pretty cool. This guy has my, uh, this guy has my animal spirit. I like this guy a lot. And uh, son of encouragement, I, I love exhortation. I love it. We know, we know a lot about Barnabas. We find out a lot more in this passage than you think, but just a quick thing, a few things that pop out, right? He gave all his money to the church, right? He sold his possession, gave it all to the church. <clears throat> He's an encourager. He's a Levite. He's from Cyprus. He sold the field. He gave all the proceeds to the apostles. Barnabas is also the man we find in the book of Acts chapter 11. He's the guy who goes to Tarsus and grabs Paul. He says, hey, I know a dude who's preaching the gospel. I'm going to go get this guy. And he goes. Paul's doing his thing. He's kind of a nobody, right? I mean, he's probably somebody at Tarsus, but 
The church just knows this, this crazy Pharisee is born again. He's stuffed in a corner. We need to leave him there. Because the last time he was preaching, Jerusalem wanted to kill him. So we got to hide him. The gospel's now going out to the Gentiles. So Barnabas is like, ah, oh, that dude, he was preaching to the Gentiles years ago. He goes down to Tarshish. He grabs Paul. Next thing you know, him and Paul are on a mission together. They go on their first mission trip, and then they split up. But why does isolate Barnabas? Why Barnabas? We know from the, verse 32 that other people were selling their possessions. So why does Barnabas get isolated? Huh? It could be, uh, it could be because he was on mission with Barnabas, and so we're, or excuse me, Paul, so we're just getting an introduction, a pre-intro into him, maybe, but I think there's something else. I think, I think there's something we miss out because there's a random definition given to him or uh, insight or truth. He's called a Levite. That's not a small thing. Remember, this is a very Jewish church. It's actually only Jewish at this point. That would have triggered something completely different in their minds. You know why? I'm gonna give you one portion, your homework, you could do the rest, but Deuteronomy 18 verses 1 through 8 gives us an outline of how the Levitical system uh, was to operate, right? And look what it says. As being holy, the Levite, consecrated to service of the Lord, they had what? No territorial possessions. Jehovah was their inheritance. Uh-oh. Barnabas was a Levite who owned property. That means you have a man who came to faith who was not taking his his, his Jewish laws, his Jewish faith, serious. He was a man living in compromise. And the beautiful thing about, and I'm reading into it, going to be honest with you, with, with biblical interpretation, I am isolating this text and I'm reading into it, but I believe I have enough surrounding it to be accurate. I do, because he's called the Levite. We know Levites are not supposed to own land, and this man owned land. I really believe why he's being pointed out is because this man, he did the hard thing, right? Think about his context. Comes to faith. Think about our context. He's in the same context as us, right? Not John the Baptist. He's in our context, Right? pre, or excuse me, post-resurrection uh, of Jesus, right? He could easily said, just like we do, when scripture challenges us, that's very minute, really it is. Okay, he owns a home. God's grace covers our sin. Have we heard that one? Oh, God's good. He'll overlook it. It's okay. It's okay. I think God will be okay with this. Ooh, really? Scripture doesn't say so. I really think, I really think Barnabas came to his Jewish roots and said, man, Lord, I am living in sin. I am wrong here. And I've been disobeying I've been disobeying my, my commandments as a Levite. And the man sold his property. Because if you look at scripture, picture scripture as a picture frame, okay? Just picture, there's a nice picture frame around me. If I was cooler or I had more time, I'd have built one, right? Just holding around. But check this out. Picture a picture frame. The minute applications of scripture to the largest applications of scripture. When we, when we obey them, when we take them deep in our mind, when it convinces us like, hey, there's something here and you're living against it and it gets into our heart and we have one or two things to do with it, right? We can reject it, which is disobedience, or we can submit, even though it's difficult, and live through these passages. And guess what? We walk through that picture and guess who's the image in that frame? The glory of Jesus. If you look at scripture as a worldview, if you look at scriptures as a lifestyle, as something that is dictating your life, that is correcting all the corners of your life, it is a, it's a frame. And we walk through it. And as we keep walking through it, man, the image of Jesus is shown to the society. And that's what we need. The problem is, is when we jump outside of it, that's where sin bounds, right? That's where the mistakes bound, the hypocrisy bounds. And so Levite, Levite, or excuse me, Barnabas, he was doing his best to try to walk through the frame, to glorify Jesus. Because honestly, let me ask you guys a question. Just an honest question. Tithing, right? Yeah. That's a gray area. And we do what we want with it. We never consider what the Bible says about it because we feel we know it's best with our money. Now, if you want to have a financial conversation about the church, we could do that later. 
But what I'm saying is that is a hard passage that people manipulate for their own gain. They do. The Bible commands us to give. Now we have a choice. We're going to make the most of that opportunity or not. Gossip. I'm not really gossiping. This is an easy one to pick on, but guess what? Gossip is lined up with, with murderers and the people in hell in the book of Revelation. Think of that through. It's listed. That's powerful, church. Do we ever sit there when we're slandering a brother, sister? Do we ever sit there and say, man, this is completely detrimental to my faith. This is completely detrimental to my, to my church. We don't. We justify it. Oh, I don't care. That person did this, this, and this. They deserve it. Ooh, anti-unity, the bizarro unity. And I get it. I've done the same thing, church. I do that. This isn't, this isn't me trying to teach you guys how to live. This is me exper- showing you my experiences. I've been through all these, all these applications. These are personal experiences. I've come out of a very dark season. I won't get much into it, but I came out of a crazy season. I don't even know how to explain it. But all I know is I had a lot of bitterness and anger, and a lot of ungodly things came out of me. But God's great, man. And, I, and, and, I, and I'm grateful I was surrounded by my wife. It kept all that chaos contained. I'm so grateful for it. Because I prayed, Lord, why? What's going on? You know, and it was a battle. And God put, God put some key families around me. I'll be real honest with you. I'm only up here today because God has blessed me with two great families. <clears throat> the clients and the even houses, they've been nothing but shepherding to me. And I love it. And I'm so grateful. That's what a community group brings. And that's what unity brings. That's what grace brings. Just a couple of people didn't have anything to say. Just love to show. Put their arms around me and embrace me as a son. And my life changed. And that's, man, I can't tell you how important community group can be when you have that dynamic in it. And I needed it. And I was so grateful, so appreciated. We meet on Tuesdays, 6.30s in our teaser, just FYI, if you're interested in a community group. <laughs> but think that through. Think that through about obeying scripture. Each and every one of you here, we're individuals. I've said it multiple times. Each and every, we have these moments where God is speaking to us. Man, it's up to you to make the most of that opportunity and impact yourself so you can impact those around you because Jesus did not go to a cross and give you new life so you could take that new life and treat it like a prosthetic arm. That's it's what we tend to do. I need Jesus. Lord, help me, please. I, I, I need money. No, God's like, hey, you've been a bad steward with your money. I'll deal with it. There's consequences. You know what I mean? Oh, Lord, I put this on him at church. No, it's a vision frame we live our whole life through. He's not a prosthetic arm. He's a lifestyle, and he needs, to, he needs to have that position in our hearts. And when the scripture convicts your mind, it enters your mind, it's through prayer. It's through submission to it. It becomes part of your heart, and it becomes part of the lifestyle and the person you are. And that's, that's a beautiful progression of scripture. And I believe that's what we get with, with, with Barnabas because we see this, the opposite. Now we're going to be introduced to Ananias and Sapphira, right? This is a, okay, disclaimer. If I could throw an asterisk up. If Luke had an agenda, this would not be in the scriptures. This is a random portion of scripture. This passage is, is, it's really off the wall, but it's there, it's true, and it really happened. We have to ask why. Why did God place this here? So I'm gonna read chapter five, verses one through six, okay? Remember, Barnabas sold all his land. He gave it. He gets all his son of encouragement. He gets this great title. Now we got Ananias and Sapphira. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and his wife with his wife's knowledge. He kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and said, and laid it at the apostles' feet. When Peter said to him, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? Woo, to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And afterwards, what it was sold, was it not yours to dispose? Why is it that you have conceived, contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to me, man, but to God. He just called the Holy Spirit God. 
When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear fell upon them all who heard of it. The young man rose, wrapped him, and carried him out and buried him. Holy cow, that is a sobering passage. A man lies and dies. <laughs> That's intense. You know what I mean? And we, it's laugh because it's intense. You know, laughter kind of soothes tension. That's an intense passage. A man sells a piece of property, and he lies about what he did with it, and he dies. Man, that happened in the early church. But to ask yourself, why? Why would something, why would come, something come, um, God do something to his own people? Have you ever thought of it like that, right? Well, we know what led to it, right? We see how he compromised. It's obvious that he saw the accolades that Barnabas had. He wanted those. He wanted prestige, right? Why else would you sell your land and, and, and only hide half of it? You're looking for the prestige of giving. He's looking for accolades from man. He's looking to be praised by man. And so that fear of man caused him to concoct a lie and disobey the conviction that God laid on his heart so he can, he can receive that. That right there, I believe that is the poison. That is the sin that's living within of us, in all of us, that creeps its way out. And that's where Satan has his foothold and he wants to divide you. And that's where he starts in those moments where you have that sin. So we all do. This is a lifelong process, sanctification, being cleansed, right? Being, being matured in Christ, it is progressive. It's something that's going to happen our entire life. You never reach full sanctification until you're in the presence of the Lord. So be gracious. We need to be gracious to Ananias and Sapphira, but we can, always, we can observe, man, they have some horrible actions. But I can, and, I, and I pray, I hope you can see yourself in those actions. That's the only way you're going to grow. Where, where am I taking God's truth and manipulating it for my own gain? Because I want the accolades of man. He compromised. Justification crept into his heart because he wanted to be praised. This sin was birthed out of man's desire. He, had, he wanted Barnabas' reputation. I wonder today when we look at this passage, how many of us are dead inside because we choose to live like Ananias and Sapphira, right? Just because, just because we're not dropping dead for that sin doesn't mean God doesn't feel the same way. I really believe God put that there as an, an example. This is what I feel about that sin. Now how are you going to respond to this, church? This is what I think about this sin. And unfortunately, that's how we justify our sins. Man, Lord, you must not be mad at my struggles because I have a huge youth group. I'm so fruitful. I'm leading so many people to faith. Since when did your fruit become the measure of your obedience? God is going to reach people despite you. God is going to, remember this, God spoke to a donkey, okay? God had his work done through a donkey. Think Shrek. Shrek, or excuse me, no, donkey. Right? Donkey. Imagine, imagine that. Don't get too high on what you have to offer. Be humble that God's even working through you. You know what I mean? God's mission will go forward. You have to deal with the individual. The end of this whole thing is to glorify Jesus as an individual, understanding you're part of a family that needs to glorify Jesus. And you know what's funny, man? We hide our sin. And we're so afraid to bring it out. But we show the world the most grace when our sin is exposed. Because the church, we deal with it right. When a church is functioning good, man, we deal with it right. Now, you see people justify, oh, no, he's a good brother, and, and we, we can't let him fall. No, 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 no. We see, the, we see the mistakes. We can all point out the mistakes. That's easy to do. It's easy. But remember this. When you point out the mistakes, there's three fingers always pointing back at you. Yourself is in that mistake somewhere. I'm actually of the belief that when you come to church, two things. 
when you see an issue in the church and you hate it, I believe that's your sin being revealed. I truly believe that. And it's up to you to dig that out. Why do you hate this element? That's because God's working on that element. So you, I want out of that. You don't want to deal with it. And then when you meet someone who's crazy, right, and you just don't get along with it, look, I know, and I'm okay with it, and I love you still. I know there's people in here who probably don't care for me. I'm okay with that. But we still have a mission of unity to go for. And that's, I rub people the wrong way, just like people rub me the wrong way. And it's okay. I still love you. I may want to trip you, but I won't. I promise. But it's okay. We often think, oh, I feel this way. I'm such a... No. You're a sinner, dude. Get used to it. Read the book of Romans. Your sin is just a cherry on the top. You're showing God's proof that we're born sinners. That's all this is. God dealt with that penalty. God dealt with that penalty. Be gracious to your neighbor. But look to Ananias and Sapphira. And look at that concoction. How many? Let's read that again. Right here. But Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And he gives them basic, basic interpretation of scripture. He says, wasn't the money yours? Did you do what you wanted? Think of this. Barnabas is a single man. There's no, there's no implication he has a wife. And if he is, if there is, show me after church. I apologize if I'm wrong. But I see no implication that he has a wife. Don't you think if Ananias read the book of Proverbs or picked up Pastor Jeff's service, uh, uh, sermon series, the book of Proverbs, it would have been wise, right? You know what, Lord, I'm selling this property, but I'm keeping half of it because I'm a married man. I need to make some financial good um, decisions, but I want to bless the church too. Woo, that dude would have got some dope praise right there. That guy would have been, lit, especially by me, like, man, that guy, that's awesome. His marriage was on par with his mission because the marriage is his mission. And it's crazy that he didn't understand that. It was still godly to only give half of his proceeds. But he wanted that full desire. He wanted what Barnabas did. And he wanted Barnabas. He was not content with the calling God gave him. He said, I want it all. Brother, just give half. You'd still be alive and join half your proceeds with this community of life. But no, the sin was so great, so deep, it caused him to do something so off the wall. Now, if he knew God was going to strike him dead, probably wouldn't have did it. But you guys, right? But you guys see that God struck him dead. Do we still do it? And do we think it's okay? Do we think it's okay because we're not struck dead? Unfortunately, a lot of times that's our measuring stick. And the worst part about this is this. Frozen by the fear of man. Look what Paul says really quick in Galatians 1.10. For I am now, for am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Or of God. Sorry, rewind. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Ananias is that example. He's not a servant of Christ. He was a servant of his own God. Church, the unity that Jesus wants to do in this church, it's alive, it's living, it's active. The Holy Spirit's moving. He's moving each and every one of you. But that sin, that inner man wants to creep out and steal the glory. He wants, he wants X, Y, and Z. He's in there. In the book of Corinthians chapter 12, it talks about gifts, it talks about works, excuse me. And it says some of our works are precious, precious stones, Right? And they're going to be tested by fire. And what happens to, to gems when you put them in fire? They purify. They become beautiful, right? And he says, some of our works are wood, hay, and stubble. What happens to wood, hay, and stubble when they go and throw in fire, right? They burn up. They're useless. Church, every one of us have good works. We have wood, hay, and stubble, and we have precious gems. The goal is to continue to press into those precious gems, to understand where the wood, hay, and stubble lies, and so we can work on removing it ourselves. 
because these types of sins not only impact the church, they impact, our, they impact our immediate context. Look at what happens to his spouse, right? We also see this in the book of Genesis. Um, the spouse suffers the con- consequences of a weak husband, right? The woman eats. The man wasn't there or distracted, right? Chapter seven, or chapter five, verse seven. Look what happens. After an interval of three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter, <clears throat> Peter said to her, so tell me, whether you sold the priest for this much, and she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it, how is it you agreed together to test the Holy Spirit? Excuse me, sorry. Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at her feet, and she breathed her last. When the young man came, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her and her husband inside, or beside her husband. And great fear, I bet, great fear came upon the whole church and upon all those who heard these things. Church, your sin, these compromises, this justification of our negative actions, man, they impact everyone. They impact your entire sphere. They impact it, okay? Just like when we reverse it, man. When we repent, when I say when repent, man, embrace your struggles. Don't hide from them anymore. Embrace them, acknowledge them, work on them, and watch God get the glory out of you repenting publicly. Okay, look, if you got some dark, deep sin, I get, I get working close with someone. Let's be rational about this. I'm just talking about the general things. You know, I'm having a great conversation in in the patio with my brother Tito. He was talking about his business. We were trying to talk about the Lord. It was just great to hear how the Lord was working in his life. And I was, you know, and honestly, like I said, I'm sharing with you guys something from experience. You know, I'm I'm trying to be honest, man. I see Ananias all over me in this, in in the last year of my life. Okay. And, and, and it was really cool just to sit there with my brother Tito and just talk, hey man, this is what it's like, even though like I feel good right now for my calling and passion, everything's back. Bro, over the last two weeks, man, I, I, it was just my truck. I owned my own business, right? And my, I had a truck go down. And it was a three-hour fix. It took the company two weeks. Ha! Huh, it's like three, what, two weeks? Okay, Lord. No, and it took almost the whole two weeks from finally say, okay, God, what are you trying to show me? Huh. It's like, man, I am still so immature in this game. Oh, in this lifestyle, I'm still struggling with these little things. Where, where those two weeks, man, and I look back and I look at all the opportunities that God wanted to really just bless me and my kids. I was like, man, I missed so many opportunities. I don't think, oh, God will give me it. Just like he gave Peter that chance to redeem himself, right? Denied three times, but he also allowed him to confess three times. I love how God does that. Because at the end of the day, my sins don't define me. At the end of the day, Jesus defines me. And when I struggle and make these big mistakes, man, he gives me a big pillow of grace to land on. And guess what? That big pillow of grace comes sometimes in the form of the church. And I get to come on Sundays and fall right in the lap of the beautiful grace here at Generations Church amongst all of y'all. And hey, Satan's going to come in through the back door. He's going to try to convict your heart to be divisive, to be your own God, to have your own will and your own ways, right? He's going to come in. Acknowledge it. Acknowledge when he's, when he's got the lead, okay? And just repent. Simple. Repent. Confess that stuff. God don't hate you. God knew it before it happened. Matter of fact, if you read the book of Job, God allowed it to happen. And God wants it to happen. Because on the other end is the precious gems because all the wood hand stubble is burned on this end. Amen? Church, one last thing. Our compromise not only weakens and poisons the church, <clears throat> but it always has a harsh impact on those closest to it. I already read that and already said that. <laughs> My bad. Church, you heard the word. You have the spirit. I just pray that you take it serious. Amen? Take it serious and know. Worship team can come on up. <clears throat> if I'm supposed to call him or is it Joey supposed to call him? My bad. I, I, it's been a long time for me. So, uh, church, just, just make the most of this opportunity. Allow God to bless you, right? In this time of worship, man, you're going to be blessed. 
Um, come on up, brother. Thank you guys so much.